to episode 25 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. I'm joined by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are bringing you fresh content and adding voices, names, and faces to interesting people making Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by Athletic Performance Insight. APL allows every team and player the opportunity to benefit from video and analytics, a coaching resource. Game events tracked by a team volunteer in real time and processed into reports and integrated with videos to help teams improve, play, and develop players. Athletic Performance Insight, amateur hockey professional results. Go to athleticperformanceinsight.com today to learn more about this tool and see a video demonstration. Last week, we had the chance to sit down with Jared and Brandon Smith, better known as the Numa Brothers. They talked to us about their careers in hockey and how they drive to become the best versions of themselves as athletes, translated into the business world with their Numa brand. It's always great to see local people do well in life. And listening to the Smith brothers was no different. You know, there was something that that <clears throat> struck me with these guys was that growing up in a, I guess, a non-traditional hockey family, their work ethic, they wanted to be, they're self-proclaimed rink rats. And you look at how hard they worked to create careers for themselves in hockey and making it to the pro ranks. There's no doubt in my mind as they tra- uh, uh, transferred to their business side and their, their second career, if you will, that that work ethic is shining through building a NUMA brand that is in the trenches against the likes of some, some big name athletic drinks. And there is no doubt that these guys will succeed more so than what they've done so far. Then we spent time in Oxford, Ohio, at the home of former head coach of the Miami University Redhawks, Mr. Rico Blasi. Uh, we hold Rico in high esteem, and this conversation was both memorable and inspiring. Uh, having the opportunity to sit down with Rico and talk with him and learn a little about uh, what we've got to see from the outside uh, and learned a lot of his uh, coaching tendencies from the inside was a, was a really good talk. I think that Coach Blasi educated everybody. I think that his conversation with us last week was inspiring, as we said. Um, he just, he, he's a realist. He's a real person that does real things. One of the things that struck me was the number of times he said, you're human. You make mistakes. Own it. Apologize for it. Move on. You know, he... Uh, he, he teaches life lessons. He, he makes every one of his players a better person first. And that will translate well to becoming a better hockey player. This week, we aren't slowing down as we head to Bowling Green, Ohio, to sit down with head coach of the Falcons, Mr. Ty Eigner. From Rosemont, Minnesota, Coach Eigner has been forming young hockey players into the best versions of, the, of themselves through the high school ranks until coming to Bowling Green as an assistant now entering his second year as the head coach of the Falcons. Before we get to all the excitement, let's get with the boys and see how the week's been going. Jay, how you been feeling? Uh, By the time this airs, I'll be free. Um, I feel normal. 
I guess. I don't know. You know, when, when you go through what I'm learning is when you go through this, it doesn't just affect you physically. It affects you mentally. Um, I'm ready to get out. I'm ready to get out of my quarantine. I'm ready to do normal things again. And so by the time this airs, uh, that should be good. I should be out and about. How about yourself? How was the week? Oh, week was good. Back to work. So that was good. Um, just trying to get in the full swing of things with the high school hockey season going to be less than three weeks away now. So um, really need to kind of ramp that up. And uh, um, that's it. Just excited to get back on the ice tomorrow. And, and uh, um, I don't know, it was kind of good to catch up and, and get some work done. So that's about it. Danny, with, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to ask you a question with, with this weather getting cooler. What is, is how's the garden? Does it start to shut down? Do you start? Well, we still got some, uh, we still got some, uh, orange tomatoes on there, but I got to pull those off. The basil bush is gone. Uh, this is the time of the year where we, where we plant the, uh, fourth generation garlic. Okay. What, what does that mean? Uh, so like this is like the, the fourth strand of this garlic. So like every year you, you, you take one clove and you just keep like out of a bulb and you just uh, plant, put, it back, in the okay. put it back in the ground and then you get, you know, more bulbs of garlic. What do you have to do to get it ready for the winter? Anything else? <clears throat> just put it in the ground. No, I mean, I mean the garden overall. I, I, no, I no, don't no, guard. No. I don't garden. So I don't know. No, no. I just ripped the stuff. Some people say you're supposed to take, uh, you know, like the, uh, whatever's left there and just kind of rototill it back into the soil to get it some, uh, uh, nutrients. I've never done that. I may try that this year. Um, I don't know though. I, I think the only problem that I have with that is if you start rototilling like tomato plants into the, into the, uh, soil, then you never know when the tomato plants are going to grow again. I, mm-hmm. I have, I have areas in my, cause you know, I do crop rotation. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, to where I put my tomatoes in different areas throughout, you know, it's a three-year cycle because the soil, the soil has so many nutrients in it for like the tomatoes, right? That's different for whatever, like the peppers. Right. And if you keep putting them in the same spot, then your yield will go lower and lower because it has less nutrients. <clears throat> so, but I have tomatoes growing in areas that I planted them three years ago, but they're not planted this year. For some reason, they just keep growing there. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's like the phantom tomato plants, right? <laughs> do you can do any canning? Yeah, I go to the can. All, I go to the can all the time, Dan. <laughs> uh, 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 you know what I mean? Like you got your extra tomatoes or whatever. You know, do you preserve them? No, we do not. No, I. I. I that's that's a little bit off my radar. I mean, we, we do make pickles and and. We do make sauce and stuff, but I haven't I haven't gone down the, the, the can route yet, the can can route. So um I may try it though. I don't know about this year. I may try it next year, but I haven't I we haven't gone down that road yet. So Danny, what's good with you? Uh not too much. Like I was, you know, we were talking off air before we got started. Started doing some uh painting in the house today. So just you know, weather outside's getting uh, crappy, so moving the outdoor projects inside um, this, D, this DIY, D, diy with danny show is just starting to really round out now you're painting and doing yeah. everything else huh but um good news so i 
you know, you guys will get a kick out of this. Back when we were still at the old house, and I was telling you that we need we didn't have a fenced in yard. Um, that was what like two months ago on October twenty seventh. They will be installing the fence. Are you getting a chain link fence, or what kind of fence are you getting? Uh, we're going the wood um, shadow box. Oh, so yeah, it's like yeah, the, yeah. the every other. So uh, the no, one neighbor that's what, who's doing it. Uh, Lowe's. We just. I mean, we got a bunch of prices from everybody, and they quoted us the best price. And then, uh, did you use a, a pro- promo code uh, Ohio Hockey Digest on air? No, no, there's oh. there's no promo code oh, for okay. that one. <laughs> but I did I did buy all the gift cards at uh, uh, no free ads for Joey P. But bought them at uh, Giant Eagle, so I got all the fuel perks. Oh, there you go. So we were for about you know a month and a half, we were getting free gas. Because <laughs> of the fence, yeah, <laughs> uh, that's great. Gotcha. Well, well, there, you know, there was a couple of good high school football games. High school, high school football is now over here in um, Ohio, which is crazy. So, playoff start. That was a short season. Yes, absolutely. Trying to get it in. Well, hopefully, we'll uh, be talking high school hockey here soon, and uh, maybe some college hockey soon after that. In full fall swing, let's warm up with the latest news as we get into the digest and see what's making news in the world of hockey today. There's no better way to get your company's message across to the hockey fans in and around the state of Ohio than advertising on Ohio Hockey Digest and on the on-air podcast. You can connect your company or product with customers and support hockey in Ohio at the same time. Contact Scott Harrington today at 216-548-2345 or Scott at ohiohockeydigest.com. In addition to a need for writers, the Digest is looking for an intern to help with pre-production of the on-air podcast, including research on guests and some writing for the show. These are outstanding opportunities for a student with an interest in sports journalism or broadcasting. Email scott at ohiohockeydigest.com to show us you are interested. We covered the sudden closure of the Kent State University Ice Arena last week due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. The 20 high school, college, and youth teams that call the arena home are scrambling to find ice for rescheduled games and practice times. Ohio Hockey Digest senior writer Jim Smith, who is also secretary of the Cleveland Suburban Hockey League, says the CSHL member clubs have been very helpful finding ice for the Kent Cyclones. Kudos to all those programs for working together. Uh, and what it affects this uh, more differently is the entire preseason. The Cleveland Suburban Hockey League plays preseason games until October 25th. And a roundabout figure is to suggest, you know, each team gets six preseason games. Three of those games are at home. Three of those games are away. Uh, Cyclones have 11 teams in the program. So that would, you know, basically mean about 33 games have to be rescheduled. Uh, during the month of October for the Kent Cyclones. In addition to their games, you know, they they have to find practice ice as well. Um, the programs, uh, you know, teams get on the ice a couple of times a week probably, and so now they've got to go find uh, practice time as well. And that's what they've been spending most of their time on the phone doing, trying to arrange practice schedule ice for their teams. The university has not supplied any updates on the situation or reopening plan. They sent out their initial statement was basically it was uh, part of their uh, 
uh, ongoing uh, process to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 on the campus. Uh, and that's the only statement they've made, and they haven't really followed up on any additional statements. There's there's no inkling as to when uh, the ICU may open again. Follow Jim Smith on Twitter at Blue Line Notes. I just want to say something about this, Jay, and any of our listeners out there. If anybody is involved in, in scheduling or any of that, and they have some extra ice that they can help these teams out or these clubs out, please reach out to uh, Jim Smith or reach out to uh, us at the Digest, and we can surely forward that on to them. I've been talking to a lot of those coaches over there, and they are in scramble mode. The Metro Jets hosted a USPHL showcase in Detroit Thursday through Saturday, and all four of the Great Lakes Division teams in the Ohio Hockey Digest coverage area participated. Tim Kramer's second goal of the game held up as the game winner as the Columbus Mavericks closed out a perfect 4-0 showing at the showcase with a 3-2 win over the Metro Jets on Saturday. Former AAA Blue Jacket Derek Richeson leads the Mavericks with seven goals and 13 points on the season. Former Olmstead Falls Bulldog Dominic Conti scored all four goals to lead the Lake Erie Bighorns to a 4-2 win over the Chicago Cougars in their showcase opener. I was playing with Riley Vertognik, who I actually played with when I was younger, and I played against him in high school. And I played with Kinsley Trevisano, who I've known for a little bit, and that was our first time playing together. Um... Just everything that went right was basically what we've been working on in practice was just our forecheck, our regrouping, where to go, uh, what position you need to be in for receiving pucks and getting the pucks out of the zone, just being in the right spots at the right time. Conti, who has seven goals on the season for the Bighorns, scored 20 goals in 21 games for the Akron Zips last season. The Wooster Oilers scored 27 times in their four games, winning three times. Lakewood's Rob Holden stopped 24 of 26 shots to, po- to post his first USPHL win in a 9-2 victory over Motor City. And the Toledo Cherokee also posted a perfect record, winning all four of their games at the showcase to run their record to 6-0-0 on the season. Andre Dupal, who was recognized as a Midwest Region Player of the Week, scored a highlight reel goal to defeat the host Jets in overtime Thursday night. It was it's nice to see uh, former Olmstead Falls uh, Bulldog Dominic Conte uh, getting some goals uh, in his uh, first couple games with the Lake Erie Bighorns. Absolutely. Coming off a, a, a good, successful season at Akron and, and heading back the junior route, it's good, it's good to see young people uh, succeeding. That's awesome. Local people. And who they, they played – what team did they play? The Chicago – they played Chicago – Oh, where did I just put that? I just oh said, the Chicago Cougars. Yeah, the Cougars out of Chicago, Chicago Cougars. <laughs> I wonder if they have that. That'd be great at their home building. Kind of like what Penn State does when when yeah. you score. It sounds like it, it sounds like the uh, the Nittany Lion is attacking your back. Yeah, Cougar. <laughs> you're getting ready to go for a face-off and you just hear it's like what the hell is that <laughs> oh my god that'd be fantastic so <laughs> the youngstown phantoms released their 2020 2021 united states hockey league regular season schedule and revealed that they will be on the road for the first 10 games first 10 games jay before their home opener at the cavelli 
Center on Friday, December 4th. The Phantoms will play 27 home games over the course of, of a 54-game USHL schedule. This USHL has changed the form, playoff format, reducing the number of teams that will qualify from each conference from six teams to four. Over the coming weeks, the team will release its 2020-2021 promotional schedule as well as details on special events and offerings related to the team's 11th season. COVID cannot take away the promotional and the giveaways for the Youngstown Phantoms, Jay. Rawr, rawr. Um, 10 games on the road. First 10 on the road. This is like a suitcase league all of a sudden in the USHL. I wonder what's going on at the Cavelli Center that they got to be on the road for 10. Holy Moses. <laughs> <laughs> what was that one? I like that. Yeah. You know what's going on at the Cavelli Center? Probably some some concerts. That, oh, no, we can't have them because of COVID. That's right. Yeah, they're throwing blow darts over there. Just lost my – there it is. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. Ten games on the road, right out of the rip in the USHL. That's not ideal, but, hey, like I you said, the, when the promotional schedule yeah, when well. the promotional schedule comes out, it's going to make it all good and dandy. I mean, you, you, listen, as long as people get their, you know – bobbleheads or their you know i wonder if they have a phantom firework night first first hundred hundred fans into the cavelli center get a bottle rockets i don't know how many of our listeners are going to remember this but you remember down at the browns or the indians well it was the browns and the indians the municipal stadium when they gave away the little wooden bats (laughs) yes Dude, they gave those away, and people just beat the piss out of each other with them, dude. Let alone, didn't they? Didn't they just start hurling them onto the field? Too? No, that was the seat cushion night. Mm-hmm. They 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 gave away seat cushions, and it was like a beer promotion at the same time. And like the umpire called somebody safe at third base, eighty thousand people just rained seat cushions, like those little seat cushions on the on the that's, thing. That, that's not nothing beats the nickel beer night or the dime beer night where everyone they had to call the game. Well, it's, the funny part, I, I heard a story about that. And that the, somebody else had the beer night like a week before. And the promotions department for the, I believe it was at the Indians there. They thought it was a fantastic idea. So they did it in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. And how did that work? Not well. I mean, that, that's like the time we were in Port Huron for Chuck-a-Puck night and Star Wars night, same, same night. And Port Huron scored a goal and everybody decided to rain the ice, just litter the ice with pucks. So they had to make an, they had to make an announcement. They, they said, please wait. wait for Chuck-a-Puck to <laughs> chuck the bucks. So Port Huron scores the goal, and they just get rained on with pucks, and that's when the Stormtrooper lost his head when he bailed on the ice. I, I remember going there and opening the door. And I, we might have talked about this when, when we had uh, Steve on, but opening the door, and there was Boba Fett, like, just greeting me. At, <laughs> I walked in. I'm like, what the hell is this? And Boba Fett standing there. <laughs> And I'm not a, like a star where I, I, I mean, I, I've seen the first three. I like the movies, whatever. But when you open up a door and you see Boba Fett sitting there, like standing there, you get a little nervous, dude. Like these weren't homemade costumes either. No, God, no. Jay. Like this looked right out of the film. They, they, they put it together that night. Poor Huron. What are they going to do when they close the mill? They're just, they're just jacking the guys around, Jay. Ah, they, they, made, they, the they made us feel good. We had jobs that night. That yeah, was a good I know. time. I know. The Columbus Blue Jackets re-signed New Albany's Cole Sherwood to a one-year two-way extension on Friday, then loaned the 23-year-old winger to Kunlun Red Star. Red Star is a team based in China that plays in Russia's Continental Hockey League. 
Sherwood will join the Blue Jackets for training camp. He has played five NHL games over his first two pro seasons, spending most of his time with the Cleveland Monsters of the American Hockey League. Question, Jay. Uh, go ahead. You get loaned to the Kunlar Red Star team that's based out of China right now. <clears throat> yes. You thrilled about that? I ain't going. Well, the fact it's <laughs> like I ain't going. <laughs> well, and and then let's throw in the fact that they play in the KHL. So maybe they're playing their first ten in Russia instead of staying in China and let this smooth over. I, I don't. Still, I don't. I, I don't think that anybody in the KHL. I don't think the KHL would allow anyone to travel over to China to play. I don't know that. I'm just making an assumption of a guy that sits in Cleveland. So I don't know. Yeah, I know that's but, that's actually a very good question. We're gonna have to have management look into that one, to be honest with you, because one, he likes to do that, and two, that's just a great question. What is you know? We've seen what it, what the COVID has done to uh, the NHL and college hockey and junior hockey. What is it doing to professional hockey overseas? You know, I I know we we have <clears throat> we we know people that are over in Europe playing and. And uh, they're they're there, but what is it doing to the KHL? What does it do to that travel? What is what is Kunlun Red Stars' travel budget like that they're in China playing in Russia? I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know, but I, I I'm I'm with you, Danny. I don't know if I'm going, man. Niet, niet. <clears throat> By the time you listen to this podcast, the 2020 NHL entry draft will be in the books, and possibly. Even the open of free agency, depending on when you're listening. We recorded this episode ahead of those events, but next week we will dig into the draft, free agency, and no doubt some trades from around the National Hockey League. It just so happens that one of our guests next week is Blue Jackets studio analyst Jean Luc Grandpierre. So he will be able to help us dissect the changes in Columbus. The second period of this week's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Performance Insight, video and analytics systems. Amateur hockey with professional results. Go to athleticperformanceinsight.com today to learn more. Getting on the bus for this cross-state drive, rolling into the Madhouse on Mercer, the Slater Family Ice Arena at Bowling Green State University. Ah, Ziggy. Time to get on air with the head coach of the Falcons, Ty Eigner. Our next guest comes to, Bo comes to Bowling Green State University from Rosemont, Minnesota. After a year with the Madison Capitals of the USHL, he embarked on a four-year career at Bowling Green State University Falcons, playing for legendary coach Jerry York. After a pro career, he returned to Rosemont and began his coaching career, molding young players into the best they could be. He spent time in his alma mater, Rosemont, then on to Brainerd and Eden Prairie before coming back to Bowling Green as an assistant. On April 20th, 2019, he was named the eighth head coach in Falcon history. He is in his second year at the helm for the Falcons. Please welcome on air from Rosemont High School in Rosemont, Minnesota, head coach of the Bowling Green Falcons, Coach Ty Eigner. Welcome, Coach. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. No problem. We look forward to having uh, this discussion, especially about a, a great program here in the state of Ohio, uh, BGSU, that you've been a part of for such a long time and now uh, as the head. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Tell us a little bit about how you got your start in hockey and, and how did it start and to where it is today? Uh, I, I'm probably not a, a typical uh, 
hockey, my journey hasn't been, wasn't necessarily a typical one. Um, I was born in Wisconsin. Uh, both my parents went to the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. My dad was a college basketball player. My mom ran track and, and uh, was going about our business living in Wisconsin. And my parents unfortunately separated and, and my brothers and I and my mom moved to Minnesota. And when we moved to Minnesota, uh, that's what everybody did, you know. And uh, there was an outdoor rink literally across the street from the apartment complex that we moved into. And every kid that lived in the apartment complex would go play hockey. And I, and so ultimately we ended up uh, getting some skates. Uh, one of my mom's good friends, she was a high school teacher and track and cross country coach. One of her uh, coworkers who taught and coached the high school team, Chuck Grillo, uh, got my brothers and I all started. And I started playing uh, as a second year squirt in house hockey and slowly worked my way up the ladder in, in Minnesota and ultimately ended up at Bowling Green. So what is the landscape like, I guess, now and, and, and was when you were coming up for a young hockey player growing up in the state of hockey in Minnesota? You know, it's, it's, I, I tell people all the time, you know, spending, you know, most of my formative years in Minnesota, uh, growing up in that environment, and then coming to Ohio for my time in, in, in college, and then playing three years of, of minor pro hockey, and then going back, um, you know, so I've been around a little bit and I understand kind of the landscape and now more than ever, having been in, in college hockey for 10 years, I tell anybody who will listen that I personally believe that it's as good of a development model as there is in the country. It, it's not perfect. Don't get me wrong. It's not perfect. But I think all things considered, you know, from a cost perspective, from a number of kids that are a lot, uh, you know, a, a part of the Minnesota hockey from a, a convenience for a family. I, I think every, all things considered, it's a really, really, really good development model. And it's unfortunate that there aren't more places in the country that have that kind of a model. So coach from high school, uh, you play a year with the Capitals in the USHL. How did you decide on BG? We talked to a lot of uh, guests that have gone from the junior level uh, or the prep level into uh, a certain college that they played for and a lot of different answers. It was the school. It was the coach. It was just the right fit for them. How did you decide on BG? And can you talk us through that process? Yeah. So, so actually I, I played a year in Madison and then my second, I played two years of junior in the USHL. My second year I played in Rochester with the Rochester Mustangs and, and we had a really good team won a national championship and 17 guys went on and played division one. And, and at that time uh, I referenced a gentleman earlier, his name is Chuck Grillo and, and Chuck uh, at the time was a, was a scout with the uh, Minnesota North stars was with the New York Rangers. He and Herb Brooks were really close. They started Minnesota hockey camps 40 years ago. And, and like I said, Chuck coached high school hockey in Rosemont and then went on to, to be a scout for the Rangers scout for the North stars, a scout for the uh, San Jose sharks and director player personnel for the sharks was a scout for the penguins uh, was a, was a part of a, an organization that won a Stanley cup there. And so uh, when I was in Rochester playing my second year, I, I, I went over to Grillo's house and, and I, I was talking to Chuck about my options and opportunities. And, and he said, have you ever thought of Bowling Green? And uh, this was the, the fall of, or this was the summer of 1988. And um, he said, you know, they, they've got a, a really good program there. You know, I've heard nothing but good things about their coach, Jerry York. You know, they won a national championship in 1984. They, they seem to have a lot of positives, Ty. You should consider that. And 
just after the national tournament, I, uh, I took a visit to Bowling Green and, and something clicked. It was, I'd, I'd never been to Ohio. The only thing I knew about Bowling Green is uh, in eighth grade, I, I went to a, uh, Chuck was my confirmation sponsor and he took me to a game. It was uh, Bowling Green. Uh, it was in 1979, Bowling Green or 1980, Bowling Green versus Minnesota in the NCAA tournament. So Ken Morrow was on that team and George right. McPhee and Brian McClellan and, and Chuck was the goal judge for the Gophers. So I was standing behind the net and I'm watching this team in brown and orange play against the Gophers. I didn't know anything about them. <laughs> and then in 84, um, I was in high school and I was in, I think, ninth grade in high school. So so when I was I was younger when I went to the first game. But I, in high school, I, uh, I watched the national championship game, uh, Minnesota Duluth in, in Bowling Green. And at the time, I, I had gotten to know the head coach of the University of Minnesota Duluth, Mike Sertich at a hockey camp, Minnesota hockey camps that I, that uh, Chuck Girl and Herb Brooks started. So I knew I was actually in my basement rooting for Duluth to beat Bowling Green. Little did I know that. Oh, you know, don't say that too loud. Yeah. Little did I know that four or <laughs> five years later, I'd end up at Bowling Green, but, but it was the visit. I came here on the visit, um, met some really nice people. Buddy Powers was an assistant coach at the time and Terry Flanagan and Jerry, and they had, they had a bunch of positive. It just, it just felt felt good you know everybody everywhere you went people talked about hockey the in all honesty the orange and brown kind of just it, it was unique and so I like that and and I was very familiar as a Minnesota guy with the programs around there I, I knew you know I'd been to plenty of gopher games and I'd been you know playing a year in Madison I understood Wisconsin and and I almost I was I was really close to to choosing Wisconsin but I got to Bowling Green and it just felt it felt right and uh, was the best decision I made in regards to hockey and met some of my best friends here and and I uh, played on two NCAA tournament teams and, and uh, got my degree from here. And, and now I'm, I'm the luckiest guy in college hockey to be back at my alma mater, coaching Bowling Green. Real, real quick, Coach, you, you mentioned about the, the, the colors, the, the brown and orange. For us in Cleveland, the brown and orange, you know, we, we shake every once in a while. We think about the brown and orange, right? Well, hey, you um, shouldn't be shaking today, man. No, good win today. Good win today. I expected to see three Browns jerseys on here today. <laughs> no, good win today. So I just, when you when you meant those colors, usually us in Cleveland, we get the shakes when we get the brown and orange. <laughs> no. How much, uh, Coach, how much did the coaches you had coming up, so Jerry York, influence you in becoming a coach? Yeah, so I, I was really lucky. Um my high school coach, I played high school hockey for four years. And my high school coach was a guy named Frank Senta and, and Frank played hockey at air force Academy and, and is still coaching high school hockey to this day. And, and I, and I still, you know, text and, and, and trade, you know, correspondence with Frank and, and I really enjoyed that experience. And then my first year as junior, I played for Scott Owens and Scott went on from, from Madison to Des Moines in the USHL and then coached Colorado college for a long time. Uh, and then back in the USHL and then, and then my next year junior had Kevin Constantine and Kevin coached, you know, the sharks and coach Pittsburgh. And, and, uh, and then I got to Bowling Green and obviously Jerry had a huge impact. And, you know, in, in my time here was, it was Buddy Powers and Terry Flanagan and, and Wayne Wilson and Scott Pollock. So I've, I've been really lucky and, you know, Minnesota hockey camps, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's a, it's, it, it's a camp, like I mentioned that Herb Brooks and Chuck Grillo started 40 years ago. And, and unfortunately they, they closed their doors this summer, you know, due to COVID and there will no longer be a camp, but you can't find a person who's been anywhere in hockey, who, who hasn't been there or coached there. And I was around a bunch of really good coaches up there and, and both my parents were coaches. So I knew at some point, you know, based on having two parents that were FIED teachers and coaches, I was never going to run 3M or anything like that. My, 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 uh, 
career path was kind of destined. So <laughs> I, I knew at some point I thought I would like to get into coaching. And my last year playing in, in minor pro, um, you know, I started to to kind of think about, you know, all right, I've, 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 I've kind of seen and done it all. And my, my, my NHL dream is, is in the rearview window. And um, maybe I want to get into coaching. And I was, I was back home in the summer and my brother and I, uh, my brother played at Miami and, and he and I started a, a hockey camp. Uh, for, called Agner Brothers Hockey School, and we did that for a couple of weeks. And while I was home doing that, the coaching job at my alma mater, Rosemount High School, came open. And um, my mom said, "Well, why, why don't you just interview for it and see?" And, and I ultimately ended up getting the job. And so I had a decision to make: to go back and, and play another year in the East Coast League, or or, or get into coaching. And, and I knew coaching was where I wanted to be, and I had my degree, and I, I really enjoyed my my time in minor pro, and and you know learned a lot and and, and had, had fun and, and met, met a lot of, you know, great people, but I knew coaching was where I wanted to be. So I just said, yeah, I, I called the coach and an East coast league and said, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to start coaching up here. And, and I haven't looked back. So you head home to Minnesota, to, like you just talked about begin your coaching career um, at your alma mater. Then, then you moved to a couple different places and everyone uh, that's involved in hockey knows the magnitude of the Minnesota state championship uh, process. Mm-hmm. Um, you won a state championship with Eden Prairie in 2009. First of all, what did that mean to have for you to return home to the state of Minnesota, have the success that you had there? But can you also tell us about when we see the videos, we see the uh, the the games on uh, you know YouTube or whatever it may be, the all hair team and all that stuff. Yeah. What is? Can you talk us through that process as well? You know, you know, we we talked a little bit about the the development model earlier, and you know, what I tell people is, if, if you're a hockey fan, again, uh, I've seen great hockey players in Cleveland, and I've seen great kids come out of Detroit and Chicago, and now they're coming out of Florida and Arizona and Texas, all all that stuff. But I tell people all the time, if you are a hockey fan, you have to go to the Minnesota State High School hockey tournament. You have to. It's it's it's. You know, it's Texas high school football. It's it's Florida high school football. It's Ohio high school. It's Maslin versus whoever they just played this week. That's what it is. It's it's one hundred and twenty some thousand people over three days. It's a celebration of hockey. And, uh, you know, unless you've been there, uh, you, you really can't appreciate it. And then as a player, uh, I never was fortunate enough to play in the in the state tournament, but we made it to a couple section semifinals and final games and at that time they were at the old Met Center where the North Stars played and there were 10,000 people there and we ultimately when I my junior and senior year Burnsville Minnesota uh won back to back and they were in our section so it was a, a difficult section and then you know my time at Rosemont High School and the Brainerd High School we we ultimately never were able to get down to the to the state tournament and then when I got to Eden Prairie that that first year uh we were fortunate enough to to uh win the whole thing. And it was an unbelievable experience. You know, we had a really good team and, and uh, we had uh, Nick Letty was a senior on that team. And, and Nick won Mr. Hockey was a first round draft picks playing for the Islanders. Now Kyle Rao was a sophomore and Kyle's played, you know, hundred or so NHL games for the Minnesota wild. And Nick Sealers was a, a sophomore in that team. And Nick played in the, uh, is playing in the NHL with the Blackhawks now. And, and so it was, it was a really cool, if you're from there and you grew up there and you understand it, it was really cool to be able to be a part of that, you know, you know, not just as a fan, you know, uh, and then to win it was, was awesome. You know, we won the first, the first semi or the quarterfinal game we won in overtime, which was, which was uh, really, uh, really cool. And then the number one seed in the tournament got beat by a, I think 
the eight seed. So they, they, they lost in, in their first game. So that kind of opened the door for us. And, and then we won our second game over a, a really good Blaine team that had Nick Bukestad, who was a first round pick and the wild just traded for, and, and we beat them. And then we ended up playing Moorhead who, who beat Edina, who was the one seed in the final and, and beat them for one. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, just, it's just something that, you know, we'll never, you know, you're always going to remember uh, winning that Minnesota state high school league tournament. So you returned to BG in 2010, 2011 as an assistant. How did that come about? And was that the next step in coaching you were looking to make at that time? Was to come to the college ranks? Yeah, I, you know, I had, I had, again, you get into coaching and you never know where it's going to take you. I had, I had talked to some USHL teams a couple times uh, while I was coaching high school. I had done all the USA camps and been to the national, you know, the festivals and all that. And, and, and I knew because I was really fortunate to, you know, coach some really good players at every stop, every, every team I was at Rosemount Brainerd and Eden Prairie, every team. And those are all public high schools, not private. Every team had players that went on and played games in the national hockey league, which is really, I mean, it's really, you're, you're fortunate to have players that are that good. So that having those kind of players allowed me to have access to people at a higher level, whether they be college guys or NHL guys. And, and once you start to interact with them, you think, you know, that'd be really, if I ever got the opportunity, that'd be really great to, to be able to, to get to that level. And, you know, I, I had talked to Bowling Green one time while I was coaching high school about coming back and being an assistant and, and it ultimately didn't work out. Um, and then when the job came open uh, the second time there, like you said, in, in 2008, 2009, um, I, I sent my resume and, you know, I applied to be the head coach and, and I had known Chris Bergeron. Uh, he and my brother were roommates at Miami and, and Chris and I played together in the East coast league and, and, you know, knew, knew Chris really well. And, you know, Chris told me, Hey, said, Ty, I'm going to, I'm going to apply for the BG job. Um, if I get it, would you be interested in coming back as an assistant? And I said, yeah, 100% I'd be interested. So, uh, thankfully Chris got the job and, and, uh, my wife and at, you know, we had, uh, we have three kids and at the time they were, they were, uh, eight, six and four, we made the move. And my wife was, you know, she's been, you know, we've been, the only job I've ever had since we've been together has been either a hockey player or a hockey coach. So she was all in on, on moving down to Bowling Green and making the move. And um, our kids have enjoyed it. And Bowling Green's home for us now. And so I'm, I'm, I'm the reason I'm sitting here is because Chris Bergeron gave me an opportunity to come down and, and be an assistant coach. And and ultimately, you know, what we did over the the, the nine years we were together, along with Barry Schutte, um, allowed me the opportunity then to, to be the head coach when Chris and Barry chose to go back to Miami. You obviously played with many great Falcons uh, that went on and had great successful pro careers. You get the job, the head, uh, you become the head coach. How important was that lineage to you in returning to Bowling Green and moving forward over the next wave of great Falcons? Yeah, to me, I mean, this place, this place really, really matters to me. Um, It's, 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 it's where I, you know, played hockey. It, it, it's a place that I consider my second home and, and to be, you know, you're, you're, you're talk, you, you talk about the list of coaches that we've had here, you know, you, you know, Jack Vivian started the, the program and then Jack went on and was a, was a assistant GM in New York and won a couple of Kent uh, Stanley cups with the Islanders. And then, you know, Ron Mason comes and, you know, obviously Ron Mason did great things here at Bowling Green and then went on to do great things at Michigan state. And then, you know, Jerry York, uh, you know, the potentially the greatest college coach, uh, ever, you know, he's in the hall of fame and does great things and buddy powers and Scott Pollock. I mean, so, I mean, you're just, 
<coughs> excuse me, the, you know, it's a long list of, of really, really good people who were really, really good coaches. And, and to get the opportunity to come back here as an assistant, when we got back here, um, it wasn't the same Bowling Green that I remembered as a player. You know, you know, I got here in, in the fall of 1988 and, you know, I'm on a team with, you know, Greg Parks was a senior. We had four seniors that year. Greg Parks went on and, and became, uh, uh, played for the Canadian Olympic team. He was one of our captains and played games with the Islanders. And then, you know, the, the junior class that year is Mark Potvin played in the NHL. Nelson Emerson played in the NHL. Kevin Dahl played in the NHL. Joe Quinn was a, a Hartford draft. And then the sophomores were Rob Blake and, and, uh, you know, Matt Ruckty. And I mean, I mean, there's, there's, you know, at that time, Dave Ellis in the NHL and, and Gary Galley, and there were a, a bunch of Bowling Green guys playing in the NHL. So it was really, really cool. And, you know, then you come back as an assistant and, you know, we, we take over a team that the year before won five games and it wasn't even close to the Bowling Green that I remembered. And, and the, the thing about the relationship that I had with, with coach Bergeron and, and, and Barry Schutte is when they played at Miami, they knew Bowling Green was really good, you know, and they understood. They, they played against the guys we mentioned. You know, I, I played with Brian Holzinger and Brett Harkins, Cleveland guys. I mean, there's always been a huge Cleveland presence here. And, and uh, you know, those guys and, and those guys I, I've, I've mentioned are all some of my really, really, really good friends to this day. And so you get, you come back as an assistant and, and, and it, it took time. I mean, we went from, you know, that, like I said, we, we took over a team that won five games and, you know, Coach Bergeron had a plan and, and, you know, we went from five to 10 and won a playoff series and then 10 to 14 and won a, another playoff series. I think we won two playoff series that year and then 14 to 15, another playoff series and, and then 15 to 18. And then we've been five straight years of 20 plus wins and we've won a playoff series every year for 10 years, which is <coughs> um, those are, you know, where is, is, you know, those are long streaks in, in, in terms of the country. And now we, yeah. we've got it back to where there's a lot of people who had a, you know, this place means a lot to and is a special place that are really, really proud of what's going on. And then ultimately to be named the, the eighth head coach in, in, in program history to me was, I mean, I felt I, I couldn't have been more proud. It was, it was a great day for, for my family and I. So your senior year, you were captain of your team, correct? Yep. Yep. <clears throat> I was so captain. Brett Harkins was an assistant captain and um, you know, it was a good, you know, Brian Holzinger was on that team. We had, you know, we had, uh, I think we finished, third or fourth in a, in a really good CCHA that year. And, and Brett played games in the NHL. Obviously Brian played games in the NHL. Greg DeFries played games in the NHL, won a cup with Colorado. We had four or five guys. Sean Pronger was on that team. And, you know, we, I mean, the, like you guys know, you know, when I got to Bowling Green, I mean, it was, it was as good as any place as there was to play. When you're talking about teams in that era, you know, you're talking about North Dakota, you're talking about Wisconsin, you're talking about Minnesota, you're talking about Bowling Green. I mean, it was, there was, it was as good as any place. So did, did that leadership role strengthen your sense of responsibility to the program? You know, I, I was, I was an older guy cause I played junior hockey and, and uh, you know, I'd always, I'd always been a captain. I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, growing up with parents that were coaches and, and, you know, when my parents got divorced, I had two younger brothers. So I was kind of forced to, you know, to be a little bit older and, and, and some more responsibility got put on my plate. Um, and it was something that I, I was comfortable with. Uh, I think if you look at the number of guys that played college hockey that now coach college hockey, I, I don't think you'd be surprised if, if a majority of those guys had some kind of a leadership role during their careers in college hockey. So I knew that, that sports, you know, I played football and I played baseball and I, I did, you know, everything else. I, I knew that sports was something that mattered to me. 
and, and something that I could see myself being a part of. Like I said, I, I, I never envisioned myself sitting in a cubicle for eight hours a day or I, that just wasn't, that just wasn't me. Those, those, I was interested in sports. I, I was a guy that, you know, before ESPN came out, I got the sports page and I just read page one, page two, page three. <laughs> you know, I knew the box scores of every baseball game and I, you know, that, that's what I did. So I, I knew that it, hopefully if I was lucky enough, I'd be involved in sports in some capacity. So as you're coaching, uh, in the high school level, and then you had this desire to get back in or get to the college level and you did, and now you're there as an assistant coach and, and some, some coaches are okay with that. Some coaches say, I just want to be an assistant. At what point did you know that you wanted to become a head coach of a major division one college program? You know, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, you mentioned the, the, the high school stuff. Like there are, there are really, really, really good coaches in high school hockey in Minnesota. I mean, outstanding coaches. And, you know, they, they just choose to stay in. They, they love their teaching job. They, they, they love where they live. They enjoy the – they don't make a lot of money coaching high school hockey. You make five 6000 bucks, But their teaching job they really like, and they, they're, they're really good at it. So being around a lot of those guys, you know, get, motivates you to, to be as good a coach as you can be. And then you get here as an assistant. And, and the one thing that – Coach Bergeron was was adamant about from day one. He it he was the face of the program, but it wasn't his program. It was our program, and he was very good with with Barry Shooty and myself. And you know, we were involved in every every decision the program made. We all we made together, and ultimately, Chris the decision came from Chris. But he he constantly asked Barry and I, you know, what what do you want to be? Do you want to be a head coach? And and, and we had had conversations because of the relationship, you know, Chris and I are, you know, I tell people we're, we're as close, he's as close to as a, as another brother as I have. Um, and we would talk a lot about, we would talk about Miami and, and the direction Miami was going and what was going on in that program. Cause I knew because, you know, my brother was his roommate down there and I knew how much Miami mattered to him. And we didn't talk about the day that he goes to Miami and I get the job at Bowling Green. We didn't talk about that, but we knew that, potentially down the road there there might be change and and I was really comfortable here my family was really comfortable here all of us were really comfortable here but then ultimately Miami made the decision to to move on from coach Blasey and and then coach Bergeron was in the mix and you know um you know then Barry and I were here and trying to figure out what what's happening here and ultimately you know I I understood Barry I wanted Barry to stay here he really liked it here. His family liked it here. I wanted him to stay here and coach at Bowling Green, but ultimately I understood why he went to Miami because Miami means to him what Bowling Green means to me. So, right. um, you know, to get the opportunity to, to coach at a, <clears throat> at a program like Bowling Green and, and, you know, we were, we were all in, you know, we just come off an NCAA tournament bid where we played, you know, the number one seed and the eventual champion Minnesota Duluth. And we, we took them, we, we played really well. And, uh, we're winning the game and they tied it up late and then we lost in overtime. I mean, we, we felt really good about where Bowling Green hockey was at. And that's what, you know, when we, when we came here that first year and we went through all the struggles we went through on the ice in recruiting, trying to make show that show parents and kids and everybody that Bowling Green is, is going to be back and Bowling Green's committed to hockey. It was not easy. We just didn't, you know, flip a switch and all of a sudden, you know, get all these really good players. We had to work and, and, and everybody we got, we, we tried to make sure that they understood how important hockey was here. And, and we were selling a plan, you know, and now we're selling a program. We have a program. We have a, we have a five years of, of 20 plus win seasons and we've got NCAA tournament bids and we've got guys signing any 
NHL contracts and players being drafted and, and, you know, playoff wins. And all. We, we've got, there, there's, you can do what there's, there's no limit to what you can do at Bowling Green now. And, and, and we're in the conversation, which is exactly where we belong. Right. True. True. How, how is the, how is recruiting the right players helped? And what is your message to young players listening to this podcast um, um, on, on how to become a player and a person that recruiters <coughs> that recruiters are interested in? Yeah. I would say how is in, in, a, in my nine years as an assistant, um, I took great pride in the recruiting piece. I enjoyed it. I, I, I like going on the road and, and trying to find players that we believe would help us be successful and get us to where we, we wanted to be. And um, so we, one of the things that I learned very early from, from coach Bergeron was, you know, this, when we recruit kids, it's, it's not, just about the hockey you know we would say in recruiting we would coach would say in his office he'd say if if you're coming to bowling green just to play hockey don't come and i would kind of cringe i'd be like oh no coach like this kid's really good don't say yeah. that to him. <laughs> scare him away but it, it's it's true and and <clears throat> you know you never bat a thousand in in recruiting you, you you make mistakes every kid doesn't turn out to be what you think he's going to be but the mistakes that we we made and, and as we evaluated the mistakes we made, we we went back and looked at and you know what what did we what did we miss and we missed or we didn't value the the person as much as we valued the player in those scenarios and the 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 mulligans per se if we could have some we would go back and do over we would we would pick people over players because it's real easy to go see which players what right and and you know we believe that the person and the and the wiring and what kind of person they are was as important, if not more than what kind of player they're, because we believe that if we had the right people with the right wiring and the right mindset, they're going to find a way to be successful. They're going to find a way, whatever it is, they're going to be successful in the weight room. They're going to be successful in the classroom. They're going to be successful in town. They're going to be, they're going to be successful away from the rink. And, and, and because we, if you're, if you're cutting corners in school and you're cutting corners in the weight room and you're cutting corners, you know, away from the rink, you're going to cut corners at the rink. That's just, that's just the reality. So we've really, really been focused on people. It, uh, it's not a cliche. It's not a saying, Oh, you're just saying that because you're on this podcast. It is real. I had the, you know, uh, because of the opportunity to be the head coach, I had the opportunity to hire two new assistant coaches. And I told them in the interview process and from day one, this is about people. This is if, if, a, if a kid doesn't want to go to school, don't recruit them. If he's not our kind of kid, don't recruit him. If he, if he isn't going to fit. So what, what we went through last year was <clears throat> both our assistant coaches, Curtis Carr and Maka Balkovec were new to Bowling Green. So they had to, they had to learn what Bowling Green was like. They had to understand what kind of kid fits here. What, what do we do at Bowling Green to be successful? Um, how do we play? Which kind, what kind of players do we value and, and, and what kind of skill sets do they have to have to be good in our system? You know, because we take great pride in being really hard to play against and, and a team that that is on you and 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 we're we're, we're relentless and we, we we play play hard and we want to get up and down the rink and so you got to find those kinds of kids and you know so we go out and recruiting and we we talk about this and then we 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 bring kids in and, and we tell them all the time you know listen um, we know that Bowling Green is is not for everyone Bowling Green is 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 we think you can do 
you can be whatever it is you're supposed to be at Bowling Green. You want to go play in the NHL? There's 42 guys on the wall behind me that did that. You want to win a Stanley Cup? There's seven or eight guys that have done that. You want to coach in the NHL? There's three guys that have done that. You want to be a GM in the NHL? There's three guys that have done that. You want to you want to be Mike Emmerich and, and do that? Go ahead and do that, you know? <laughs> um, so, there, you know, we've got the first uh, African-American NHL, you know, Everett Fitzhugh is an alum. So, we, I mean, there's no limit to what you can do hockey-wise at Bowling Green. But it's not just going to be about hockey. You can get a big time degree here and, and you can go out and do great things because there's going to be a time where you're you're going to put your hockey bag away. You're going to be done playing hockey like I was. I was riding the bus in the East Coast League and I'm like, I don't think I want to ride this bus anymore, <laughs> at least as a player. I want to sit in the front seat yeah. and ride as a coach. And, <laughs> and so we want our guys to be prepared. And And again, we say it all the time in recruiting. We tell parents this, we tell kids this. We understand that what we're saying about relationships and, and finding the right people and, and trust and, and being willing to be held accountable isn't for everyone, but that's how we do it here. So if that's not for you, that's fine. Cause everybody we recruit doesn't say yes, but if that's not something that you value, then, then you should go somewhere else. Right. And uh, it took me a while to understand that early. Um, but I, I value it now for sure. So coach, as you, as you, obviously very involved uh, in many levels of the game in your career. You know, if we could kind of just use that umbrella and, and you can see the game has probably changed and evolved over the years. Um, can, can you talk to us about how, like, how do uh, players, if a player is like, if he, he or she is playing at the double double A level and wants to play triple A level, or he or she is at the high school level and wants to play juniors or juniors wants to play division three or division one. When, when should a player make that decision and how should they know? So I, I didn't answer the, the first question the, or the last question completely. There was two parts to it. And I talked about Bowling Green, but you, you, you mentioned prayers. So I've got a, I've got three kids. My son is uh, an O2 and he's playing uh, midget major uh, on a midget major team. And my daughter's O uh, four and she plays on, on a girls, honey, triple A honey bake team out of Detroit. And then I've got a daughter that, that chose not to play anymore. Um, and then with my experience coaching high school, and when I was in Minnesota, I ran, I not only coached the high school team, but I ran the entire youth hockey organization in two of the places I was. So we had 500 kids in our youth association. So as the high school coach, I cared about the mites and the squirts and the peewees and the bantams, because ultimately they come to us at the high school level. And, you know, I talk to kids all the time. Um, and I, I think the, the biggest issue right now for, for kids is everyone is in a hurry and you know the game has changed it's 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 always evolving and it's always um there's 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 you know people come up with new terms you know back checking is now back pressure and there everybody you know playing fast is competing you know there there's all these kind of terms that kind of come and go but i think the game's still the same you look at the teams that have had success at the highest levels in the last decade you know, every team that's won the Stanley Cup has played really, really, really hard, really hard. And, you know, you look at when the when the Capitals finally got got through and, and, and won their cup. I mean, Ovechkin's blocking shots. They're competing. They're 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 playing really, really hard. They're just, it's, it's not an easy game. And, you know, the Tampa Bay this year, you know, St. Louis last year, I was I was it was funny. I don't know if you guys have talked to, to Derek Lalonde, who used to coach the walleye ever. Um, but Derek's an old high school or college coach. And I know Derek fairly well. And I was trading some texts with him 
during the playoffs. And, and, you know, I said, you know, despite your lack of goaltending and depth and scoring and all that, you got a good team. And he was, he chuckled. He said, yeah, you know, I sense a hint of sarcasm there, Ty. He said, but the reality is, is that, you know, the Blake Coleman's and the Anthony Sorelli's and the, and the Yanni Gord's and the, and the Barkley Goodrill, those are those guys playing as hard as they play. They're driving us. And, and then Kucherov starts to play and point plays hard all the time. And Palat plays and Hedman, you know, they have elite players, but you have to play hard. You have to be competitive. So I'm watching my daughter play two games this weekend. And so, as you guys know, you know, right now you, you can't be out actively recruiting until January 1st at the division one level. So I'm fortunate enough to go watch girls hockey because my daughter's playing and, and I've, and I've got to see one of my son's games um, just because of the schedule. And I, I, you can, you can see players, they all, they all want to try to do the thing and, and, you know, they want to try to play right, but, but if they'll, if they can just focus on playing really, really hard, like I don't care what level you're at. If you're, I've seen plenty of high school games. I've seen prep school games. I've seen double A games. I've seen triple games. I've seen junior games, North, you know, you name it. I've, I've watched it all in the last 10 years. And whether it's in British Columbia to Montreal and everywhere in between, I've watched it all. And if you go to a rink as a coach and you're out there looking for players to add into your program, if players if, if they catch your eye because of they just work so damn hard, that's a skill. That's a, that's a valuable skill because you can always count on that. You can always count on that. You know, and then, and then you do your due diligence. You start to dig on like, like what kind of kid is he or she. And, and you know, there's only so many you know, stick people, right? so many kids that can just wow you with their skill. And so I would tell players, like, you, if you can compete and you value competing, and being a difficult player to play against. I'm not saying that you have to be overly physical or you have to run people over, or you have to be dirty. I'm saying when you have the puck, it's got to be hard to take it away from you. And, and when you don't have it, you work like a dog to get it back. Those kind of players, every team needs them. Every program needs them. Um, you, you have to be able to skate today for sure. Uh, that's a skill, but you have to be able to think it too. You know, you, you, if, you, if you can only skate fast, hockey's going to be hard. Um, but you have to be able to skate to play because everybody's going, the game is so fast. Like, you know, they get pucks and they move them. And, and I don't care if you're watching men's hockey, women's hockey, the, the team that can skate and make plays, they, they got a chance to win. And so I, I, it, it's, it's, it's difficult, you know, cause people say, well, what's the one thing you look for? Well, I don't know that there's one thing. I, I do believe that being competitive and being a person that, that takes great pride in working all the time is huge. And then I think being able to think it at a, at a, at a high level is, is really important because, you know, so many of these kids today, and I don't care what sport you're talking about. I, you know, my kids have played them all and I've, I've coached baseball, I've coached golf, I've coached football, I've coached, you know, I've, I've coached a bunch of different things. And um, if, if you don't have a feel for it, it's, it's really difficult. And you get a lot of these kids get, get kind of caught up in the, you know, the skills coaches and the, and they, they become only hockey players. I think it's, I think, I think it's valuable to be, if you're a great hockey player, but you play baseball and, you know, you, you play right field and bat ninth, I think there's value in that, you know, because in, in, at the hockey rink, you're the best player, but you're not the best player on the baseball field. And, and, you know, I always used to say when I was coaching high school hockey, you know, if you give, if you, if, if our high school hockey team has a bunch of shortstops and a bunch of quarterbacks on our team, we're going to be really, really good. Right. Cause those kids, they're usually really good athletes but they usually understand what's going on. You have to know what's going on if you're the shortstop and you're the quarterback, right? So I, th I think being multiple, multiple sport 
athletes is huge. I, I think it's a, it's a <clears throat> tremendous disservice to our kids right now that, that only play hockey. I think it's wrong. Um, it's unfortunate that that, that somehow, some way that's become what the adults believe is the right way to go. Um, it, the, but, the, but the, I, when I, you say the adults coach, do you mean, cause you talked about the skills coaching and all that other stuff. I mean, you, I couldn't agree with you more that that's not just hockey, but all sports have gotten driven to just a single too specialized, focus. right. Too specialized. You know? So it, it's, it's, it's wonderful to hear that a division one college coach is saying that a multi-sport athlete is a major attraction to a, to a division one coach, because we got to get back to that for our kids. Yeah. It, it, it's, I think, and I think now more than ever you see, I mean, with, with what's happened with COVID and things have shut down. And I mean, it's, you know, there, I, I've heard stories of crazy people who, who are calling around, where's a rink? My kid's been off for, for a month. He needs to get back on the ice. How old is he? He's eight, but he's missing all this. Everyone's passed. <laughs> I heard a story that there were dads from, from Detroit who drove to North Carolina because they were open there first they rented ice for a week for their kids and the dads went and played golf and that's great i'm not saying that's wrong but that's that's the extreme that we're willing to go to right uh, there's, there's ice in north carolina how do i get there right yeah and and it's 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 crazy um be, and and i think it's 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 too bad and, and it's it's the by the adults i mean it's become privatized which um when it's no longer run by the rec league or the city or the school the, the cost goes up because that's now someone's job, right? Right. Um, when your dad used to coach in baseball, now don't get me wrong. In certain cases that the, the level of coaching and development goes up because you have a more qualified coach. I know there, there are certain cases where that's been really positive, but hockey shouldn't cost what it costs now. You know, soccer shouldn't cost. I, my, my kids have played travel hockey, travel baseball, travel club volleyball, Girls, like I understand, like what what the the, the landscape of youth sports is pretty pretty well, and it, it's not cheap. And it's you know my daughter that that you, you know they all have been multiple sport kids, and now my daughter who's a junior only plays well she plays lacrosse in the in the spring because we want her to do something else. And then my other daughter who's a volleyball stopped playing hockey and and will will do something in the spring. We want them to do at least two, but it's difficult. I mean, you pull these kids, you know so many different directions and, and the, the expectation is that they're there all the time. You can't miss the spring skate and you can't miss this summer tournament and you can't miss the fall. Like it's, it's too bad because, you know, I was really lucky and my, my, you know, both my brothers played division one hockey. My youngest brother played at West Point. And like I said, my, my other brother played at Miami and we all played football. We all played hockey. We all played baseball. And that was, that was really fun to go from one sport to the next, to the next, because I think it it's, it's valuable in, in so many ways, it's emotionally and, and physically and, and, and to be able to have relationships with all those different people. Um, I, I wish we could get back to that. And I'm hoping that, you know, coming out of COVID and things have, hopefully it's slowed down, but I, I don't get a sense that I think people are just like, we're waiting for people to open the door so they could sprint to the rink or sprint to the volleyball. Gym it's, it's like, it's like black Friday going into the rinks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so coach, what is on the outlook for you and the Falcons, I would say for the upcoming season, uh, but we kind of don't know what that looks like totally, do we? Yeah, I mean, we, we had a meeting with our, our, our seniors today just to kind of touch base with them. And, you know, this has been 
since last March when this thing hit and we were in the middle of our playoff run and we were told we're, we're done and we hightailed it back to Ohio. Um, nothing in our world has been, excuse me, nothing's been normal. And, right. you know, I told our guys today, like they, they, they're like, coach, we need to know the schedule for tomorrow. And I'm like, I don't know the schedule for tomorrow because they want to know when we skate. We have morning skate. And, and the reason being is now the Mac's going to go back and play football. So our lift time in the, in the weight room might change because football's back and they're going back on their full-time schedule. So football may need to be in the, the weight room at the time we were going to be in. I said, I'll, as soon as I know, I'll let you know. Yeah, but, right. um, so that's our, our day to day. So we, we send our schedule out a week at a time to try to allow our guys to, to, to have some, you know, to, to plan for it, you know, full disclosure, we had some issues with COVID on our team. And so we've had to pause and we've had to, you know, rearrange. And now we're, we're, we're getting back to just about everybody back now. So we're, we're trying to individually get our guys back into to shape so they can prepare to play a game. Um, our, our league, the BCAA, we are going to play a conference schedule after the first of the year. Um, we have not in, you know, that schedule is not set in stone. We're, we're really close to having it finalized. Uh, so that'll happen starting January 1st and 2nd. The, the WCHA will play league games. Prior to that, on, on last Thursday, we did get the go-ahead from uh, the presidents in our league to play up to 10 non-conference games. So my challenge right now is to try to find 10 games. I've got eight kind of sort of penciled in. They're not even penciled in. They're in like driveway chalk. You know, so it's it raining, they're gone. Yeah, I was going to say, hopefully it doesn't rain. Yeah, the, the, the issue is, is that, that so we're, we're trying to play teams, you know, you know, Miami and Western Michigan from the NCHC, but they're, they don't know what they're doing. We're trying to play Ohio State. And they don't really know what the Big Ten's doing. And we've got, you know, a couple series scheduled with with uh, Robert Morris and Pittsburgh and, and uh, Mercyhurst and Erie, Pennsylvania, just because they're they're close. We're trying to do home and homes in this unique time. And but no league has officially come out and said, Here's our schedule. Everybody's trying to figure it out and they're trying to do things in their own best interest, right? You know, Hockey East has a real small geographic footprint, right? So they're talking about doing a league, league only schedule starting whenever and playing as many games as they can and, and never having to stay in a hotel, which they can do, right? And and then Atlantic Hockey's got their plan and, and the WCHA, you know, we have teams in Alaska and Huntsville, Alabama and the Upper Peninsula and so we're trying to figure out what works for us, which is difficult. So yeah, I was just I was gonna ask you about that when you when you mentioned about your league. So let's take let's take the teams out of Alaska, right? So I mean, what like, how is that going to work? Or, so, or what, so again, what's the and, discussion? And so now you start to deal with state of Ohio, the state of Alabama, the state of Minnesota, the state of Michigan, and the state of Alaska. You've got five different states. And I don't know if you guys have followed anything that's going on in Michigan. You might as well consider Michigan to be two states because the bottom half right now in terms of hockey has different rules than the top half. Right, right. Because of COVID and, and, and a bunch of different things. So um, what, what's going on at northern Michigan and Marquette might be different than what's going on at Michigan and in Ann Arbor. So we're trying to navigate that, and it, it's ever-changing. We've had weekly Zoom calls um, as, a, as a national body with head coaches, all 62 Division one head coaches have been on weekly Zoom calls, <coughs> excuse me, just to try to figure out, try to work together to, to make sure everybody makes it through this. And then we've had weekly calls with our WCHA. And then we've had weekly and sometimes bi-weekly calls with the CCHA, which we're going to join next year, right. which is a new league. So, you know, you referenced Alaska. So right now the rules in Alaska are 
if you fly to Alaska and get off a plane, you need to quarantine for 72 hours. Now, that's gonna be really difficult for a team to go up there and, and so now you've gotta get there 72 hours early and, and when you're quarantining, that means you can't skate. So you're gonna you're gonna sit there in a hotel for how long and then be expected to play. Well, that's gonna maybe, uh, normally for the Alaska trip, we would leave Wednesday. We would get there late Wednesday night. And so we so that you just go to your bed and wake up and then we skate Thursday, skate Friday, play Friday, Saturday, come home Saturday after the game. So you're there Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and then you come home. Well, if you have to extend that trip, now money becomes an issue. So how do you how do you navigate that process? Do you, is there a, a, a test that that we can take when we get there? And how much does that cost? You know, and, and then so everybody's trying to figure that out and you know, with, with COVID kind of doing, doing this all over across the country, you know, certain states pop up on the hot list and, and, you know, that there's travel restrictions. So everybody's trying to do the best they can to, to navigate this. And, and I really, I really, um, in our conversation today, one of the things that's been most frustrating with our players is they just, they really don't know what's going on. And it's, yeah. it's, I, I told them I accept responsibility for that. I, I need to do a better job of communicating, but I don't know, guys. Coach, if, if, if my captain called me right now and said, hey, coach, when's our first game? I would say, I don't know, which is so – we're supposed to be playing an exhibition game right now today, and then supposed to be going to St. Lawrence next weekend. So it's it's been really difficult, but it's not a Bowling Green problem. It's an everybody problem. So oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. All we all we can do is is try to do the best we can, and, and, and it's it's – the, the challenge has been for our guys to, to wrap their arms around it because it's so different. You don't get to hang out in the locker room anymore. You, we have guys dressing in the hallway and we've got space, space issues and we're trying to be aware of masking and social distancing and all those things. It's not normal. We haven't been able to have a team meeting with our entire group at the rink in a room yet because they want us to be spread out so we sit in the stands well that's not the same and we haven't done any video because it's it's difficult to do you know so it's it's we're trying to do the best we can and, and hopefully um sooner than later we're playing games that that was going to be one of my questions about when you guys were playing last season everything got shut down and nothing has been normal so to speak since then how do you personally deal mentally with all this unknown and then how do you, as, as, as the leader of the organization, help your players mentally deal with all this? Because, I mean, as you said, full disclosure, I'm on the tail end of my quarantine for having COVID. And from a mental standpoint over these last 10 plus days, I, there's days I'm a mess. Yeah. Because I don't know, and, and, and you know, and, and how I contracted it, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And what my symptoms were, I don't know. So trying to wrap my head around it. Now you're trying to you're trying to wrap not only your head, but help all of your college age players wrap their head around what's going on. How do you even begin to navigate that? Yeah, it, it you know we we had a conversation today because there because we're you know we we've been here since August twenty fifth or sixth and and <clears throat> the uh, the availability for ice in our rink was was backed up because we had some construction going on. And then when the ice became available, um, we let our guys go out there for a week and, and get their new, you know, they all the new gear and let them do their thing. They didn't need us, you know, looking over them and worried about, did I miss that pass or did I fall here or this or that? And then 
we we haven't had one day that we've had everybody out there yet based on guys coming back from injury based on covid based on a lot of things so we're starting to get back to that and there's plenty of things that over the course of the last three four weeks i, I wish i had done differently um, but you can't so today we talked about like we got to move forward here guys we we gotta we gotta you know hopefully we're playing games in november that's the plan so priority number one because we've had to pause and you've quarantined and you've isolated and you haven't skated for the we've got to get back in shape and we then and then we can get back to doing what it is we do as a team to try to be successful we have, we we know who we are we know what our identity is but we haven't been able our guys are are really struggling with not being able to do what we normally do like they they usually know what monday's supposed to look like and tuesday and wednesday and thursday and friday they know what those practices look like we haven't been able to do that so it's it's been tough for them you know our I, like I said today, I, with football coming back, we're, we're supposed to lift at eight, but it might get moved to seven. I, I, I don't know that. And it's 650 on Sunday night. You know, that's that's just the world we live in. And you said, wrap your head around it. Sometimes I bang my head against the wall. <laughs> um, wrapping my head again. And 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 the, 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 the best thing that we have going for us, and it goes back to your question about recruiting and, and what Bowling Green is, the best thing we have going for us is our people. And we told every kid, you know, today in our in our meeting with our seniors and our in our captains, we, we said, when you got every one of you when you were recruited, whether it was by me or Coach Bergeron or however it worked out, every one of you were told, when you get to college, there's gonna be adversity. What that adversity looks like, I don't know. Your girlfriend breaks up with you as a freshman, you fail your first math test, you have always been on the first power play, and now you're a healthy scratch. There's going to be, you, you, you hurt, you get your first injury of your career. There's going to be adversity. And the reason we recruit people, people, not players, is because you need to be around the right people to get through the adversity. And, you know, the start of our meeting was there, guys were a little bit on edge and hockey wasn't fun and it wasn't as much fun to come to the rink because we had a lot of adversity going on. And now because we're around the right people and we can have a conversation that isn't necessarily easy, we can move forward. And so uh, I, I, we have a really good group. We were, we were, and we are really excited about our team. You know, we had a, you know, we won 21 games last year and we were the, the hottest team in college hockey. We were undefeated in 10 and we led the country in power play goals and we lost four players. Um, one, two-time All-American Alec Rauhauser and another defenseman and two forwards. So we've got a really good group coming back. We've got a group of seniors that all they've ever really done here is win. Um, they understand this, where the standard is that, and they understand what, what Bowling Green is, and, and they love Bowling Green. We just, we just want to be able to get back to doing what we do. But like we've said, guys, <clears throat> the, the frustration from the coaching staff over the past couple of weeks has been we've done some things internally, took our foot off the gas, and, and – and, um, took our guard, let our guard down and that took hockey away. Right. And, mm -hmm. and we want to, there's only so many things we can control. We, you know, just like you're seeing in the NFL and the major league baseball and, and college football, we want to make sure that when we're, when they give us the thumbs up to play, we're ready and, and we're doing everything we can because we, we don't know if the team on our schedule is going to show up. Right. Or we don't know if we're going to get a call on Tuesday and say, 
don't come up and play us because we have issues. Like that, that's the reality, right? Like it's happening in the NFL. And I, and I think the, the, you know, everybody, when the NHL and the NBA went into their bubbles, I think everybody started talking about bubbles. Right. And, and the reality is, is that the reason that they were able to go through this with 30,000 negative tests is because they had a bubble and no one came in or went out and everybody else is kind of sort of hoping to have a bubble and everybody makes good decisions, but it's hard, right? Like yep. I don't think Cam Newton wanted to not start this weekend, but somehow he got COVID, you know, and um, I don't know that, that, you know, the guys from the Tennessee Titans or whoever has it this week, you know, I, again, but you just, it's so that's, that's, what's been hard. It's, it's just so difficult because in when, when you're an athlete and when you're between 18 and 23, you're invincible, right? You, that won't happen to me. And, and unfortunately this thing doesn't, doesn't, it takes no prisoners and it does, it's not, it doesn't uh, matter who you are. I think you said, I think you said it right there when you said, you know, you know, the Tennessee Titans or whatever, whoever has it this week, because that's exactly how it's going to work. You know, like who knows who's going to get it when, and, and the only thing we can hope is that those who do get it, they recover quickly, safely. And, uh, and then, you know, in the future, Hopefully we can get back to that normal uh, coach uh, Jason. I want to say thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for talking with us about your uh, growing up, your hockey time, your coaching time now at Bowling Green state university. And uh, we look forward to continually watching you uh, do a great job and watching the Falcons uh, succeed year in and year out. So thanks again for joining us tonight. We do really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. I'll come on anytime and you guys let me know you're welcome you know, when and if we can have fans, you're welcome to come to BG. We'd love to show you around, and show you firsthand what, what Falcon hockey is all about. Oh, we'll definitely love to do that. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. All right. Have a great night. The third period of this week's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Performance Insight, video and analysis systems, amateur hockey to professional results. Go to athleticperformanceinsight.com today to learn more. Well, Jay, it was a great uh, sit down uh, and talk with uh, Coach Eigner from Bowling Green State University and his time from coaching high school, uh, then made the jump right from high school to Division One college, assistant at his alma mater, and now the head coach, the eighth head coach at Bowling Green State University. Uh, again, as, you, as we continue to talk to these coaches, the same message over and over again is we recruit people, not the player. And I hope kids understand that. Uh, you, you you beat me to the punch. Coach Eigner is a coach. You could hear it in how he talks and what he talks about. And, and the good coaches, as you just said, recruit the people. The good people can become the good hockey players, can become the good athletes. And, and like he said toward the end there, you know, when you surround yourself by the good and the right people, you can deal with adversity easier because you're surrounded by support. You're surrounded by good things. And, and you look at the course of his collegiate career, he was surrounded by good people. He was surrounded by the right people. It helped Bowling Green to grow. And then he returns to Bowling Green with Coach Bergeron, who, who was under the same mentality. And he's just carrying it on and he's putting his stamp on it. I thought it was just another excellent conversation, and I enjoyed listening to Coach talk. The bus is rolling back down the road. A great show coming to a close. 
Heads or tails, Jay? Tails, tails, never fails. That'll do it for episode 25, the quarter of On Air. Special thanks to our guest from Bowling Green State University, head coach Ty Eigner. You can find the On Air podcast at www.ohiohockeydigest.com with full episodes and archives, as well as a list of future guests. You can also subscribe to On Air on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Continuing to grow the game as best as we can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast.